It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 689 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have a fun show lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey's a business coach, keynote speaker. He's the host of the Creative Warriors podcast and author of a book titled Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. And today we're going to be talking about the importance to sellers of learning and speaking the language of your customers. In other words, their lingo. So among the topics Jeffrey and I will be diving into include this whole idea of what, what a lingo is, what is the secret language, and how does it represent the value system or the behavior of your customers? And how does it enable learning it, their lingo? How does learning their lingo enable you to create a bond of community with your buyer? We'll also talk about why 99% of businesses are, are built backwards, meaning that they try to fit customers into the business instead of trying to understand the language of the buyers that they serve and building their business to align with that. And we'll also talk about this idea of sales as a metaphor for change. And uh, Jeffrey has a great term we're going to get into. He talks about sales being about moving people from confusion to transformation. And I think that's a great description. So we'll get into that and much, much more. Now, before I talk with Jeffrey, I just want to spend a minute talk to you about the sales house. I've been talking about this a lot recently in the podcast, and many of you have come and joined our community. We really appreciate that. The sales house is, for those of you who haven't heard, it is the all-in-one growth accelerator for B2B sellers. Now, I created the sales house for one reason, and that's to help you learn how to close more deals, to make you look like a, a sales genius, to be, to be the sales all-star for your team. So, we all know the world of selling and buying is rapidly changing, and the sales house will give you the confidence you need to take on any change and turn it into an opportunity to succeed by giving you the knowledge, the wisdom, and the advice you need to become the very best version of you. Now, we do this with multiple coaching and mentoring calls during the week where you get unlimited access to me. You get access to a growing library of micro-learning courses to help you learn and master the essential art and science of selling as well as access to a roster of world-class experts that come into the sales house and share their expertise in our weekly live workshops. And as well, you receive the ongoing support from people just like you, people in the trenches, people out selling every day, people who want to help you and who can be a, a true lifeline for you. All that in the sales house community. So imagine what your life would be when you don't have to guess what to do next. So come invest a few minutes a day in the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, here we go. Jeffrey Shaw, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, I'm glad to be here with you. Pleasure to have you. So you're joining us from where today? From Miami, uh, Florida. Miami, Florida. Yeah. In the summertime. Sunny and beautiful, and uh, I got incredible ocean views, so uh, no complaints. And you're you're a refugee from New York City. A refugee? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, an escapee. Uh, <laughs> like a lot, of, and it's a lot of people. I meet so many New Yorkers that did the same thing I did. I just came down. It was supposed to be a three-month stint three years ago just to get away from the New York winters, and here I am. I'm still here. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of the advantage of realizing you've been an entrepreneur your whole life and mm -hmm. you know, the life that was location independent after three months of being here and falling in love with it. I realized I don't have to go back. So, yeah. uh, well, it, I mean, yes, I've been working for myself since um, my company since 2000, the same thing. Lo yeah. I love the term. Okay. Everybody talks digital, digital nomads these days, yeah. but location independent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's, I can do mine from anywhere and, and I do. 
Exactly. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it's funny. Uh, friends joke, you know, other people sort of in consulting and so on that travel a fair amount is they always give me a hard time because I travel to more interesting places than they do because <laughs> yeah. not, not as dependent on work. But um, so, yeah. okay, well, let's, let's talk, jump into it. We're going to talk about uh, your book, Lingo mm-hmm. Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. So, what is a secret language? And and I know you, the books yeah. are written from a marketing perspective, but it was really that, to me it was really fascinating about a sales perspective on this because we have largely mm-hmm. a sales audience. So, what is a secret language? Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that about sales because I uh, I've yet to do the audio version of the book, uh, and I, I've been asked a lot. And part of the reason I've held held off in doing I don't know I may wind up being a one year anniversary of the book before I actually mm-hmm. do the audio because. Once the book was out, then I did 60 podcast interviews in three months. And mm-hmm. I do about 10 a month. I've done about 100 interviews at this point. And I find so much more in the content that I wrote that when I do an audiobook, I want to actually have it be an expanded version of it. And one of the things I'm most definitely going to include is the lingo of sales, mm-hmm. right? Because really it's a book written, um, it was a, it tended to be a marketing and branding book. But what I've kind of unfolded is that. The idea of lingo. So let's start with that. As you said, what is secret language? The term secret language and lingo are sort of interchangeable for me in that lingo by definition is, you know, it's a jargon, right? right? You have a a technology lingo, what have you. But I look at lingo almost as the secret language. In so many ways, the lingo, to speak someone's lingo is to speak to their their essence, Mm -hmm. their value system, Mm -hmm. right? Which creates a bond of community. If you look at historically, lingos have made communities, like communities, teenagers are a community, right? They have their own lingo. Sure. Their industries have a lingo. And really what lingo accomplishes is bonding people together as a community. And this to me is my strategy around marketing and branding for businesses, Mm -hmm. is that when you speak the lingo of your ideal customer and only their lingo, you form a community of, of you know, where they feel like, wow, this you're like a part of their clan. Mm-hmm. You know, you're part of their community to this essence that you get one another. So the secret language... Well, I mean, just to, just to break that. that down, though, is mm-hmm. a little bit is, is before you form a community, you have to have a relationship between individuals. So the, really the secret language, the lingo, is how two people bond initially, right? I mean, yeah. and... and it sets the formation for more people to bond in a common lingo. But, I mean, to me, one of the powers of what you were talking about was that just, yeah, even in a brand, we we start with building a relationship with one customer, yeah. right? And that relationship is, that's a way that you demonstrate empathy for someone, you connect at a certain human level that might not be possible otherwise. Yeah, and you just said the key word is empathy. And, and it is really taking the time to understand with empathy the value system, the essence, the lifestyle, the behavior of your ideal customer so that you can learn to speak their lingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is uh, people have asked, like, why is this book relevant now and why is it important now? I came to realize that probably 99.9% of businesses are built backwards, right? Businesses are built on ideas. Innovation is built on ideas. And that's a good thing. The problem is from a marketing and success perspective is that people create a business based on an idea, and then they run around for years trying to fit customers into that business. 
where the right way to build a business with empathy and understanding their lingo is to, to really take the time to understand the lingo of the people you want to serve and build a business aligned with that lingo. Mm-hmm. Now, my example, and I share in the book, and I won't go, won't go to the whole full story, but to summarize the story as I tell it in the book. So when I started out as a portrait photographer, uh, I returned to my hometown, which is a small country town in upstate New York. I realized real quickly that I was never going to succeed there because although it was my hometown, I didn't think, act, or have the same values as Mm -hmm. the people in this town. Mm -hmm. What I really, I was speaking the wrong lingo because I was promoting portrait photography as a long-term investment. And I realized you can't, you can't sell that value to people that are struggling to whether they're going to make their mortgage or rent that month. Exactly. Right. So I needed to find the people that shared that value system so that I could learn to, so I could, we could speak one another's lingo, but I knew, I, I also knew I, I had a lot to learn to speak their lingo. Well, ultimately my ideal customer for my photography business was going to be a very affluent clientele. Those mm-hmm. that had disposable income. Sure. The problem was I didn't know their lingo. And that's where the concepts of this book came from. Like I took it upon myself to really study the, uh, the value system of the people I wanted to, to serve, what their expectations were, what they experienced in the brands they were already purchasing. So I, I studied high-end brands so that I can understand the psychodemographic or the psychographic of the customer, not so much the brand. Right. But I wanted to understand what made people tick that chose high-end brands if I was going to position my business as a high-end brand. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. That to me is speaking the lingo. It's like, but like I said, the problem is people don't take the time to understand the <laughs> lingo before they go into business. <laughs> well, and so one of the things that you, you talk about in the book is that this being able to speak someone's lingo is a way to minimize the impact of price and competition. Mm-hmm. And so if, as an advantage for a brand, and this is where I was sort of really thinking of from a sales perspective, right? Because you know, we deal with this on a uh, you know, one-on-one level with, with customers all the time, is you might, based on what you've researched, so how does that, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, so like, that's like you know, the silver bullet for a salesperson. Right. So you know, here's how I've learned to reframe sales. And I, it, it, first one I say is I never, had a, I never struggled, which a lot of people do, but I never struggled with charging what I was, what I was worth or what I felt what I was producing was worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a very high-end photographer. I was a high, you know, on the coach, coaching side, I'm, I'm kind of on the higher end as well. Um, I don't have a lot of those blocks. A lot of people have about charging what you're worth, but I will say that like a lot of us, the idea of sales can be problematic in our own psyche. Mm-hmm. So one way that I learned to reframe how I felt about sales, and I think this is a, a cornerstone is I really, it's, it's actually not about selling anybody anything. It's actually about moving people, right? And yes, as a photographer, I had an advantage of moving people emotionally, but the big thing was and I had to learn this from building my coaching practice is that I had to move people from a point of indecision to a point of decision, or I had to move people from seeing their problem to investing in the solution or move people from uh, confusion to transformation. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I realized that sales comes down to simply moving people. And uh, yes, in a marketing branding perspective, often that means about emotionally moving people so that you can move them from wherever they are to where you believe they can be better served. Mm-hmm. Right. So from that perspective, or where they want to be, or they want to be right. right. 
exactly. Um, although, you know, I, I guess there's something to be said for that too, right? I mean, if you don't agree that's where they need to be, then I don't know that I could move somebody there or sell yeah, them. Yeah, well, they're that, not right? a prospect for you. Then they're not, they're not a fit, right? right? Exactly. So ultimately, it has to be, I think, believe, I, we used to joke in my photography business all the time that I'd walk into the back room and um, you know, we, because we were in a very, very high service business, like a lot of sales, uh, are, but yet I would, I would walk in the back room and I'd say, they're, they're going to get what I give them. Right. Mm. But there, there was some truth to that. Like, because I didn't really listen. I talk about this in my book lingo, the difference between uh, one's acknowledged need and their deeper need, right? The way to really move people is to cater to what they don't know to ask for, but you know, would serve them best. Sure. Most people only know to ask for their acknowledged need. I need this. But as the expert in your field and as the, the salesperson in your industry, you likely know what they really need that they don't even know that they need. And when you can, that to me is speaking someone's lingo because when you can speak to that, you move people in such a way and build such a high level of trust, they will pay a premium price and you have formed a much deeper relationship. Yeah, I mean that that really boils down to this idea about having insights into what people's requirements might be that yeah, that they're not aware of necessarily based on your experience about something they could achieve or accomplish uh that they weren't aware of. And it sort of smacks a little bit if you've ever read the book The Challenger Sale is same thing as you know you change the paradigm of what the customer thinks they're buying. Yeah. You know, you you ask them something about their business that they really should know but they don't. And yeah, then that sort of sparks that insight on the part of the buyer is like oh well this person this person's kind of sharp but you know they've, they've they know something right they've got some value that i need so you talk about how though the secret language and this was interesting for me is is sort of replacing avatars and the marketing personas that that exist and interested you know hear a little bit about that from you because you know i think that the one thing that we see, I see in sales, as I see as a problem, not everybody sees it as a problem, but I do, is that people become so wedded to this idea of the persona that you know they'll send their marketing teams, will arm their sales teams with you know, really heavily scripted questions based on, hey, this person meets these criteria for our persona, and it never really gets that real connection going right because they're they're selling to the persona not to the person exactly so yeah um you know to me that's problematic because we end up yeah. in these unsatisfactory you know interchanges between stilted buyers and stilted customers so yeah so how does how does lingo sort of address that mm-hmm. yeah i think you're i think you're spot on and so one of the um I, I refer to lingo as the evolution of buyer personas and avatars because you know it's okay that they exist and and it's been good enough up to this point but as all, the old adage says you know what got us here is it going to get mm-hmm. us where we want to go mm-hmm. so buyer personas and avatars have been a step in the right direction from not knowing anything about our customers in years past because people were throwing money at us with ease right um, and then we started to feel, oh we need to know our customers a little bit better and hey let's throw some tracking pixels on there and we'll mm-hmm. know that here and but it's not it's it's not going to go far enough i mean i see a much deeper level of of personalization being required or i should say even individualization coming from the from consumers right you know andy i think part of this is is going to be initiated by uh artificial intelligence and the fact that so many companies are using cookies and tracking Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is i've been in business long enough to know that every time something goes in one direction the opposite becomes true 
So, <laughs> right. So as the world becomes more automated, more artificial intelligence, more behavior-based marketing, consumers are innately going to test that and want to crave the opposite, which is, well, but do you really know me? Mm-hmm. Not just my oh, persona, right? Not just this generalization, but do you really know me? Yeah. Right. And I, that's why I, I, that, 100% agreement. I mean, I think that, yep. that, you know, and Jeffrey Colvin wrote about this in his book, Humans Are Underrated, is, yeah, as we see this this rush of automation, AI, machine learning, that, yeah, people are going to start craving the human. Exactly. And, and this is really this ability to connect with another person right. really becomes valuable. Yeah, and to feel like the business that you're doing business with really gets you. And, mm-hmm. and this is possible, by the way, and I know that you know this too, this is possible for pretty big companies. You know, I, th- I think some big, bigger companies may struggle with how to bring that level of individualization um, and personalization to their businesses. But again, entrepreneurs, small businesses might be an advantage that can maybe uh, pivot on this idea a little quicker, but big companies are going to, to, to figure it out as well. Um, and it's also true. I mean, with really good brand messaging, you can bring a whole lot of voice and personality, even through your online marketing mm-hmm. that, that makes you, makes the company feel like, but again, it takes that initial research. The company has to have done the research for the consumer to feel like this business, even if it's an online presence, gets my values, gets my, gets my voice, gets my style. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think I see sort of stages we have to pass through where right now we're dealing with the sort of fiction of personalization at scale. <laughs> and, and that's going to pass through. I think before it gets to even to the individualization, as you talk about, it has to go through this, this filter I call humanization, you know, where people have to feel that they're actually talking to a person. You know that there's a that someone has taken the time to to look at them individually, and then yeah, the net result of that could be the individualization. I think. Is- yeah, I, I like your thought process in a lot because it was a, something I struggle with in writing lingo was trying to, you know, people are, well, how can I possibly speak the secret language, the lingo of every one of my individual customers? Mm. I was like, well, but as in our language, there's languages, and then there are accents, right? Or dialects, and, even in dialects, exactly. Right right? It's broken down. So the lingo builds the community and then you may cater more individually to the individuals through a dialect or through an accent, a little extra, little extra touch. So I'll give you a kind of a quirky example, but it's so fresh in my mind because I'm just returning from uh, a, a few days. It was supposed to be an overnight trip, but due to some storms, it wound up being a three-day fiasco. Wow, sounds like Gilgun's Island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of, I was beginning to feel that way with as many planes that I was stranded on. Um, but um, I had a dog walker. I have two little dogs. I had hired a, a relatively new dog walker who was inundating me with, my dogs are walked four times a day, mm-hmm. inundating me with photographs of their every little move that right. the dog made, which are all blowing up my phone because she's using WhatsApp and those mm-hmm. download immediately to the phone. And I was pushing back and saying, I, I just need one two pictures. Uh, That's enough. And then there were a lot of messages about the well-being of the dogs, what was going on with them. And, you know, by the time I got home, I was so frustrated and I expressed to her, it's like, look, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. I said, but you know, I'm away because I'm busy Mm. and I'm working and I want to concentrate on my work. I said, this was way too much information. And she addressed the problem by saying, well, I take my work so seriously. I was trying to offer exceptional service. Mm. And that was the key. And I, you know, I, the business coach in me never shuts off. So I was like, well, look, if I can offer you some advice, it's like you offered me the service that you believe is exceptional, 
but wasn't for me. Right. So you need to kind of fine tune what exceptional, because exceptional service is that I have such trust in you that if I don't hear from you, all is good. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the mistake a lot of businesses make, I think, is that they develop based on avatars and pirate buyer personas, what they believe is going to be of exceptional service or sales to the customer. But they're not actually engaged with the customer or even the, sometimes the, the way that community breaks down by individuals as to what they really need. So, hey, I'm sure this dog walker works with some uh, other busy people who actually like that level of engagement, mm-hmm. right? But a very simple questionnaire would have addressed that issue if she had asked me in the beginning, how much do you want to hear from me? How many photographs satisfy you? It's that level of individualization would have made a big difference. Yeah, which then raises the question, which I don't think we have time to, to completely get into today, is, yeah, then how do you scale that level of individualization, right? That, I think that really becomes the challenge. Yeah. Because Although, yeah, my gosh, today's world of CRMs, big or small business, I mean, um, you know, gosh, what but it, I- it takes a certain amount of time. I mean, for her to say, look, I'm going to survey every one of my dog walker customers, there could be a time where that, that she doesn't have the time to do that. Yeah. And thus, in her mind, saying, look, I need to establish a baseline of what I consider exceptional service, which, you know, you could take the, even the example that you gave with, with your dog walker. I would say probably 80% of her clients would probably go over the top about that, right? Wow, she's going above and beyond. You have a different lingo and different expectations. So for you, that was different. So I think the challenge becomes, yeah, how do you individualize that in a way that in a way that you know, enables you to do the rest of your, your work, right? I mean, that, that is scalable. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think it's as hard. I, I, again, I think big companies, small companies can take on this challenge. I'll give you, I'll peel back the curtain here a little bit. You and I have come together on this podcast through uh, a company that, that mm-hmm. sets up podcast interviews, mm-hmm. okay? And um, they have their processes. Mm-hmm. But I knew I was doing a considerable volume of, of, in order to launch the book, I was doing a huge volume of interviews, 63 right. months and then 10 a month every thereafter. As much as I would love to, I'd love to listen to every show that I'm going to be on, but I knew by volume, it just purely wasn't going to be possible. I'm also sure. running my own podcast and my business. So I created for them a lingo briefing sheet. So I created for them questions that I want them to, to either ask the host or just by doing their own research, things that I want them to tell me so I get a feel of the lingo of your show before I come on. So I ask them questions like, I think the most important question to me is how would I dress for that show? If I were, if I were visiting that show in person, how would I dress? Because hmm. right? if they tell me it's a jacket and you know a jacket and tie type of show, I have a sense of my presence. Mm-hmm. If they tell me it's like a t-shirt and jeans show, then that gives me a sense of how I need to show up. I ask them on a scale of one to five, you know, how clean is the language, how profane is the language, right? Because um, some shows, hey, you mm-hmm. can drop drop f bombs, and it's that's part of their character. That's mm-hmm. the lingo of the show. I want to. I'm capable of it. <laughs> but I want to know the lingo. I'm not going to do it inappropriately because it's not about it being my brand on that show. I want to stay in the lingo of the show. Right. Um, I ask things like, how much does the host and the guest talk over one another? So I just, with a simple form, provided them a briefing sheet that they're able to fill out. And I can look at the sheet and show up on your show and the hundreds of shows I've been on and get a very a strong sense of how I need to show up to speak the lingo of that show. So I think every business can do this with just some, some inquiry, even 
uh, as a larger business, you know, lead magnets and things like that, you can tell a lot by somebody. If you give people a choice of two, three lead magnets, you can tell a lot by, about somebody by what they choose, mm-hmm. right? So that could become a way of developing. Well, this is the lingo. T- time efficiency is the l- lingo of this customer because right. they chose this. Right. So I, I think with some automation, I think we can go much deeper in realizing sure. people's essence than we realize. Yeah, my point was that it still takes time. and takes systems, yeah. And it takes systems. <laughs> yes. But yeah. yeah, if you're a sales professional and you're dealing with you know, 100 accounts, let's say, um, yeah, it's going to take systems, it's going to take technology. It may still, I think we see, is there's going to be this tendency to default to, like I said, sort of the, the mass personalization, which... I think we all acknowledge just isn't working, right? Yeah. But to your point, I mean, you're, you know, you, you know, sales. And one thing you know is that it all comes down to conversion, right? If you start seeing a higher conversion rate because of that added level of individualization, that will inspire you to do more of it. Sure. Right. If you, if you can, if you find success through knowing more about people, those small details about them, um, if you can find out more about them and you deliver on that and that increases your conversion rate in sales, it, it becomes a no-brainer. You know what path you're going to follow. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it's not that it's impossible, right? Because um, Harvey McKay, if you've read any of Harvey's books, you know, Swimming yeah. the Sharks, he talks about in that book, and he's put this, had put this use in his business years and years ago. They still use this. You know, they try to ask or get answers to 66 different questions about their customers, you know, which is a level of depth that most people think is unimaginable. But when you think about it, when you have that data, and I implemented this in my own selling when after I'd read the book, not I wasn't going sixty-six deep, but I was going deeper. Yeah, when you have that that amount of information about about one particular client, then yeah, your conversion rates going to go up fairly substantially. Yeah, I mean, it's um, one of the things I do with my coaching clients. I I. I do a practice I call a brand to blend. So I help them identify kind of their brand at their own brand essence by identifying two well-known brands that if you were to mash them together as a whole, it would represent the essence of your business. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason that's really useful is that particularly it's, it's really useful for a company, uh, various teams, various employees, because it, you can actually create a, a terminology that mashes those brands together in a way that the whole team knows what it means, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it creates a unity in the team that I think is really important. Um, so that you can, that's, again, you're almost creating your own internal lingo. So it gets everybody on the same page to understand, oh, that's the lingo of our customer. The yeah. lingo of our customer is if you were to imagine, you know, I don't know, um, one of my uh, coaching clients uses a lingo called uh, Prapple, which is Apple and Prada smashed together. Yeah. Because they're an innovative company, but high end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, internally, they talk about Prapple as if it's a real thing. Like it's mm-hmm. a word, mm-hmm. you know, but it gives everybody in the team an essence of who their ideal customer is, what their ideal customer is looking for. And I think you find it very grounding in a company. Yeah, very interesting. I have to think about that. That's um, see how that applies to my own business. Yeah. Um, well, the reason I think it's easier if you use identifiable brands is because as new people come on, they're brands they already know. You know, if they yeah. if you mash together brands that are already intuitively people know something about, it's easier for people joining the team to kind of embody that. 
All right. So, so last question is, is, and I think we sort of touched on a little bit, but I just want to see if, if that's the case, is that you talk about how you know, lingos make sort of the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, obsolete. So tell us what you meant by that. Yeah, I know. It's a, but this does, tends to ruffle some feathers too, because I get it. I get the 80 20 I'm not going to argue the factual truth of it, you know, I mean, because there is, there's a actual truth of it. But I think it's as a philosophy, it's a dangerous philosophy for, for businesses. And I don't know that it needs to be the case. So, you know, as you know, the 80 20 rule, the Pareto principle is 80% of your income comes from 20% of your customers. Well, particularly on this for smaller businesses, what that's really saying is that eight of 10 customers are a waste of time. And what I found is that when you can speak the lingo of your ideal customer, you can build a business where all your customers were are, are your most profitable customers. Mm-hmm. So you, you have, you know, maybe it's a 95-5 ratio, maybe it's 90-10. But I think it's the amount of time that small businesses, medium size, even larger businesses, the amount of time that businesses waste catering to the customers that aren't the most profitable. A lot of times, the, the gateway to that problem is their brand messaging. Right? They're actually calling forward too broad of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the book, one of the foundational stories in lingo I talk about is my experience at Bergdorf Goodman. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm speaking on stage is to ask how many people in the audience know Bergdorf Goodman. Mm-hmm. Very small percentage of people, if anyone, knows what Bergdorf Goodman is. Well, they've probably heard about it in a movie. Maybe, you know, but I mean, I'm always amazed at the blank stares I get. Now, Bergdorf Goodman is, is, it's an eight story department store on Fifth Avenue at Mm -hmm. 59th Street in Mm -hmm. New York City. It couldn't have a more prominent location. I've done videos of, you know, the, I don't know, tens of thousands of people that pass by and have no idea it's there. Yeah. And the point is, it's not for everybody. Right. (laughs) And nor is any business for everybody. So the idea of speaking the lingo, the secret language of your ideal customer is so that you're creating a business that has a higher percentage rate of your ideal, most profitable customers. So you're getting out of busting out of the 80-20 rule and building a business, which I think is pretty critical today because there's so much noise in the market that look at the expenditure of time and money it takes to to acquire a customer, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want eight out of 10 of them to be a waste of your time. We need every customer to stand out and be our most profitable right. ones. Yeah, interesting. Just thinking about the Pareto principle, too, and we think about more and more businesses are switching to subscription models, is, yeah, does it really apply in that case anyway? It's sort of a separate subject, but you know, if, you're, yeah. you know, if you're HBO, I think probably the Pareto principle probably doesn't apply. When you look about individual subscribers, maybe it doesn't if they look at their customers as cable companies, but um, you know they've got. But they're also there's not a huge amount of time invested in that type of. And if it's a subscription based business model, there's not a lot of time invested that you have to protect the time wasted well, as much. But increasingly there is. I mean, software now is completely a, a subscription business, right? It used to be yeah. big dollar amounts you go sell to license to a company. Now those companies buy by the seat. Um, yeah. You know, and that's completely transformed. Now, you still have probably the same distribution if you're selling to large and small companies. But, um, you know, within, you know, if you're only selling to large companies, I just you think, okay, does it really apply the same way? Well, I don't know. Topic for another day. All right. Well, exactly. Jeffrey, great. Well, I appreciate the, <laughs> appreciate the time. It's a great talking to you. So tell folks how they can find out more about you. Uh, the best, best way to find out more about me is uh, go to Jeffrey Shaw. Actually, we've created a page for your show. So creative uh, jeffreyshaw.com 
forward slash accelerate. Mm -hmm. um, that will get them to a page with uh, some gifts on it. And actually, uh, there's links to the book. Um, actually, something I'm doing a lot now is offering a kind of a quick audit of people's brand messaging on their website. So there's an option for that as well. They can fill out a quick application, sort of what we were speaking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I have people fill out a, a written application. Right. And then I go to their website, and that's how I can often see the gap in their own brand messaging. And it's right. quite a beautiful thing to see because what people intend and what they write is very different than what they're actually getting across. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, it kind of, kind of closes the gap. gap. I can see the gap, but the goal is, of course, to close that gap by making sure you're speaking the lingo of your ideal customer because what you have in your head and who you want to reach and what you think about them and what you're actually putting out in the world can be more often than not there's a big gap in what you intend and what you're actually communicating. All right. Excellent. Well, good. Well, again, Jeffrey, thank you. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you for having me. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me. I want to thank my guest, Jeffrey Shaw. Join me again next week as we welcome Brian Wade to Accelerate. Brian is the CEO of Sigster. Now we're going to talk about how to increase your sales velocity using your email. So before you go, don't forget to check out the Sales House, the growth accelerator for B2B sellers. Visit, visit us at thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>